0: I'm your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest today is Dan Gordon. Dan, your LinkedIn profile states that you are entrepreneurial digital healthcare transformation champion. Say a little bit about that.
1: The organization that I lead is called uh, Collega, and we build uh, mission-based innovation programs. What those programs do is we build innovation communities in health and uh, healthcare and social care. uh, The idea is that there are different kinds of communities that we can build. The local communities solve local problems. We link those up with global communities of practice, and the global communities of practice gather practices, and um, and we have a way of infusing their practices into the local communities. And uh, then we build uh, accelerators for products. And in that way, we are creating the market space that links the supply of innovation to the demand for innovation. So when I right. call myself, uh, and at that title is a little old. It started when I was in the IBM Global Health and Life Sciences Center of Competence. And that's the kind of thing that we were trying to do and thinking about, OK, how does innovation actually work? How do you link up the entrepreneurs and the small, uh, small businesses, and how do you link them into the people who need to and want to solve the problems? Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the past, well, at least 10 years, but probably 20 years if you look back over the, where this all started.
0: What was your professional background?
1: I started doing i done electrical engineering. Then I did biomedical engineering. And that got me more interested in helping professions and how you could apply. Uh, and then uh, I did that for a good couple of years. And then I was much more interested in the in health systems. And that's when I came across to University of Toronto. And I did a PhD in health system management. And that was in the early 90s. And that was at the time that Kaplan and Norton, and had just started thinking about balance scorecards, I think purely through luck. I was the first person who tried to apply them in healthcare. And we'd go to the conferences and they'd be talking about how they applied in, uh, in the private sector. And at that point, um, I said, well, would they work in healthcare? And so we tried a couple in healthcare and we sort of started to figure out how you needed to change balance scorecard thinking and um, how difficult they were to implement.
0: How does balance scorecard thinking work in healthcare.
1: the idea then was if you're going to improve anything you need to measure it and measure only a few things and then figure out um, how you improve those things and that's become sort of the orthodoxy now but at the time that wasn't really being done the at the time either people were measuring tons and tons of things or they were measuring what you could measure but not what really mattered And even at that time, people had not really gone from uh, measurement to strategic management and why you measure stuff and how you link it to strategy and how you build strategy maps and all those kinds of things. So that's what became what my PhD was about. And we tried it out Mm -hmm. at a couple of hospitals here. And uh, then I suppose what really happened is um, people said, oh, this looks interesting. And before I knew it, I had a couple of kids working in the basement, and that became the first company that I built. We built this company around health analytics and around balanced scorecards and how you do strategy and measurement of strategy. And we became national Canadian leaders in building data warehouses and scorecards and dashboards. And that was the time that IBM said, well, come and do this globally in our center of competence and be our health analytics lead.
0: Why do you think it is that healthcare organizations became enamored with the idea of measuring their performance?
1: I think what happened is people got much more tuned to the idea of measurement. At least um, I can speak about the Canadian healthcare system the and probably the U.S. healthcare system. It became much more of an orthodoxy. But remember that this was in the 90s. And we were still in the early stages of, um, you know, we weren't aware with all the big data that we've got now. And so you were still having to construct databases. And um, we became experts in multidimensional databases and how you aggregate data up and... Yeah, it was very, very hard to do, and you couldn't do it at a, um, you could more or less do it at an organizational level on some indicators, but you couldn't do it um, at a departmental level. Yeah, and so a lot of what we were doing is sort of figuring out that if, when you want to build uh, big analytics systems, how much of a data infrastructure you need to have that. And then also uh, how you needed to link that with visualization tools. But I think the biggest thing that we found was that people would say, well, it's all very well to tell us how well we're doing, how badly we're doing, but what do we do about it? That was where we first started off thinking, you know what, um, it's actually crazy that that information is out there, but people don't know how to improve healthcare. And so why didn't we go and build an open source global encyclopedia of everything you needed to know how to improve healthcare? And that then became the basis of what we're doing now, which is building health innovation and uh, open sourcing uh, all the methodologies and the evidence and the best practices about how to do it. And then working out how we use a platform to enable local communities to understand what it is that they need to do to improve, how to coalesce around a problem, and then how to get access to what everybody else has done before so that they can accelerate what they're doing.
0: Dan, can you give us an idea about a project where you feel measurement has come to make a big difference in outcomes for patients?
1: Absolutely. And we've just finished a project with a regional health integration network they uh, want to build an innovation program. So the first thing we did was we helped them work out what it is that they want to focus on. And uh, we went through a number of different problem areas and they decided that they would focus on wound care as a fairly well-contained area, but one that is costing them billions of dollars. And it's costing that because the wound patients fall through the cracks they get a wound, they get discharged from hospital, the home care nurse doesn't know about it, the, home care, the replacement home care nurse who's on the second shift doesn't know what the first nurse did or found out, then the, the wound gets worse, the, the person finds themselves in emerge, the emerge doc doesn't know what, what happened in home care, uh, they refer to the primary care doc, who doesn't know if the wound is getting better or worse. That kind of stuff can lead very quickly to gangrene and then to an amputation, especially with uh, uh, patients with uh, like diabetics, you get uh, diabetic foot wounds or with stomas.
0: So in summary, what problem do you think that you helped to solve with the technology? And how did you come to sell that to the people who are looking for a solution?
1: They said, we think the problem is about transitions of care. We help them work out, okay, the problem really is that, uh, number one, you don't have a standardized assessment, and number two, you don't have the, the tool to actually take a photograph of the wound and then uh, have the analytics to analyze it, and then you don't have a way of sending that information interoperably through the health system. So the next phase of the project is to help them source those solutions. But probably the biggest and best example is what we're doing in South Africa. As I said, we I came from there, and so because uh, we've been connected in the system one way or another, we've been talking about why you are not doing healthcare interoperability. Now, interesting, when this conversation started in IBM, we'd been working with um, the Australian uh, Healthcare Interoperability Group to say, what are you doing uh, nationally? And we'd been working on innovation ecosystems in uh, Scandinavia and a bunch of other countries. And so I started to have this conversation in South Africa, and it's led to uh, five years later, to having built a consortium of the private sector hospital groups with 500 hospitals and the health insurance schemes with 10 million lives under management. And we're building health data exchange for them. And very much that is about, um, it's been all about collaboration and building trust and then helping them figure out how they solve problem by problem as you move through acquiring solutions, uh, building them out, uh, building the implementation methodologies, helping them work out how they do consent, all of those kinds of uh, problems that need a group to solve and can't be solved by any one organization on their own.
0: Dan, as a healthcare provider, I really do struggle with the idea of a computer getting between me and my patient. And often when you introduce a computer into the consultation, it becomes the third person in the consultation. How is it that we can overcome this idea that the the consultation is being effectively destroyed by machines?
1: It's a very good question. I think partly it's around the, the issue of the user interface partly it uh, which is bad so i know that um, in fact we work closely with a group called the center for effective practice in primary care and a lot of what we find is that uh, you know the computer is a barrier because the person spends a, a lot more time sort of looking at the screen and not at not the patient but you, but you ask those primary care docs if they'd ever go back to practicing without a computer and the answer is always no a good friend of mine is paul grundy who um, was the lead for the patient centered medical home and he said, actually, in his view, um, the, the doctor is not going to have a computer in their room in years to come. The doctor's job is going to be to look at the person in the eye and develop a personal relationship, but to have access to the information that the nurse and the rest of the care team found before the patient even arrived in the room. But the doctor, he used to say, the doctor's job is to ask you about your piano lessons and to know that you had piano lessons and that your daughter's uh, in the play next week. And that's what's going to be important about building that patient-centered medical home idea. I think it's partly because we're just sort of in the early stages of figuring out how this stuff works. And, um, some of it is technical, but some of it is around, um, you know, just the fact that you said to me, "This is recorded, but I want—I need to be able to see you." The interaction. We those disciplines are important: eye contact, the setup of the examination room, where there isn't a computer between the um, the physician and the patient, but you're both looking at the same screen, and you are of working the problem together uh, are some of the the, the things that we can do to help that situation. But it takes time to develop those kinds of uh, sort of subtle and nuanced ways of interacting.
0: What do you think are the limitations of computers in the consultation given that we have come to agree that they may impact on the meeting between the doctor and the patient?
1: I think sort of that's sort of the key point is that the physician-patient relationship is one based on personal relationship and on trust, and um, don't let a piece of technology come between that key goal. i tell you, another thing that the computer is doing is um, I think it's, it's making, well, not just clinicians, but a lot of people lose their ability to tell a narrative story and to tell a rich history. And uh, the art of the like the Oliver Sacks ability to uh, really sort of tell the story that uh, makes the patient come alive. Computers are not a panacea by any, by any standard.
0: To what extent, Dan, given the way we use computers today, do you think we are harming healthcare?
1: Well, I think it's even uh, in as much, and particularly with specialists, it's about uh, not seeing the whole patient and say, so, you know what, um, I'm seeing the body part, or I'm seeing the disease, and there's, you know, whatever other stuff is going on with you, that's not my job. Yeah, and I think that's also where family docs have a hugely important role, to being that uh, holistic uh, clinician. And I think actually what, what, what I'm seeing happening in Canada in that regard is um, we're getting back into home visits, especially for low income and, um, uh, and disabled people. Because seeing the context of, uh, you know, the apartment and what's going on and the home is as an important part of um, understanding what's, what's actually happening.
0: Dan, what do you think is the most exciting thing on the horizon that might make a difference to outcomes in healthcare?
1: So this is just my particular perspective and my, my orientation. Um, actually, since I've left IBM and full time, have been doing the whole the collega. We, we're building innovation ecosystems. I think it's the um, it's the incredible speed at which new technologies are becoming available. We, we're about to hit um, a million apps, a million healthcare apps that are currently available, and that's what Tom Friedman calls this the, the computational supernova effect. You have to think of it like it's the supernova explosion of stuff that's coming out and it's exponential and it's getting more exponential. And we've been having this doubling of technological power uh, every 18 months for the last 50 years. We've now got to the point where when you talk about double, double is massive. I mean, you could talk about artificial intelligence, you could talk about machine learning, you could talk about blockchain, you could talk about precision health, you could talk about personalized medicine, genomics and CRISPR and uh, nanotechnologies. they're all, I don't think there's any particular one, but the overarching theme, I think, is whatever you can see today, in 18 months' time, it's going to be twice as powerful as it is, and look what it can do today. So, Mm. and in three years' time, just as you're starting to adopt, it's going to be even more powerful. So, just expect that the change is going to continue to accelerate.
0: What do you think is limiting our ability to reach our potential in deploying technology effectively? In healthcare,
1: in general, um, and for good reasons, um, healthcare is very risk-averse. What that does is that um, constrains innovation. Um, the mentality of saying um, you can never make a mistake, or we can never get things wrong, or you can never fail, is antithetical to the way innovation works. What that does is it stifles innovation and it doesn't allow people to go out and say, "I'm going to try something." I mean, obviously. You don't want it in a situation where you're going to harm somebody's life, but uh, you do want to try stuff. And even if it doesn't work well, you want to be able to say, "Well, that was an experiment, and what did we learn from it?" And that doesn't happen, especially in hospitals, enough to allow innovation to really flourish. And that's why a lot of innovation gets trapped. Look, look at other industries. The we should be we should look like uh, what banks look like, or what uh, financial industries, or I mean. Music industries, um, I don't know if we really want to look like that, but um, the amount of innovation that is coming out is uh, and being, uh, it's a function and the stuff that's being accepted is a function of how many things are being tested and are failing as well. And when you don't do that, you don't get as much coming out the other end.
0: What's one piece of advice would you offer healthcare providers or designers in healthcare, whether they work in Baltimore or the United States or Brisbane, Australia?
1: I would say... Uh, Maximize your mutual value. Don't think about protecting what you've got. 99% of the smart people in the world don't work for you or next to you. Figure out ways to reach out and find out what's happening and uh, think open innovation and reuse what's worked elsewhere. And you'll go much faster as a result of that.
0: That was Dan Gordon reflecting on the uses and limitations of technology. In improving outcomes in healthcare, it is interesting to hear his view that, after an illustrious career in producing technological solutions, that he acknowledges the vital importance of the interaction, the unimpeded interaction between the doctor and the patient. The Journal of Health Design: Better Health by Design.